Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Sanusha Naidu is a senior research associate at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Sanusha, good afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and thank you for having me. Indeed, Sanusha. Thanks for yeah, making the time to join us about uh, yeah what's been transpiring over the weekend. Uh, talking about everything DA. Of course, now the electioneering is starting to take place. All the parties are starting to become vocal a year before elections uh, happen. But in this case, we're specifically uh, looking at the DA, uh, John Stearnhazen, elected as a leader for another three years, I believe, if I recall correctly. Yes. So we're looking at the DA having the, cap- the capability to lead a coalition government. First of all, Sanusha, how do you interpret, how do you define a moonshot, a moonshot pact? <laughs> a moonshot, it's really tongue twisting, isn't it? A moonshot pact. How would you define that? Well, I think Mr. Stenius defines this, this concept yes. of a kind of, if I understood it correctly, and, I, and I'm subject to correction in my interpretation. I'm sorry, I, di- I didn't uh, mean to put you on the spot here, Sanusha. <laughs> but if but, I understood it correctly, mm-hmm. he's talking about a moonshot pact yes. in terms of a coalition. Right. And what he's trying to say is that it has to be one that aligns to a kind of consensus, but one that also aligns with the kind of over- or overarching engagement where everybody's on the same page. It's kind of like what... Mr. Mulder from the Freedom From Plus said, well, isn't that what we are doing in terms of a multi-party strategy on coalition or coalition strategy? Indeed. And trying to define the technical terms that will make it more cohesive and less subject to instability, fluidity and political posturing, as well as what some would argue as political uh, expediency, vested interests, and of course, very vulnerable to essentially what we saw in the metros in Gauteng. So I think that's what he's arguing. But the point to make about it as well is that it's lovely. It's a lovely phrase, a moonshot pact. Yes. But it, it's almost interesting to argue that even in that context, there's a sense of uh, a, a DA, sorry, <laughs> of DA non-negotiable. And that DA non-negotiable aspect is it has to conform to DA values. Now, right. DA values as, mm-hmm. a centra- as a central pillar to a coalition structure. Right. So I think what, what a moonshot pact does do is that it doesn't, I don't know whether, how it will operate in practice, but it actually has to, you know, kind of say, well, would you give parties, I mean, your representatives within a particular, a co- uh, in a particular metro or wherever to define what it is based on negotiations or was it a very rigid approach to negotiations? Well, certainly from what you've just mentioned, uh, the DAC has almost lost the plot then, uh, if it really wants to make itself effective in campaigning leading up to next year. If there's yeah. no clarity as to, you know, yeah. what their guidelines are, as you say, and uh, expecting people to toe the line. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a cohesive, it's not a, it's not a definitive profile, what they've presented. Well, I think on the one hand, what you saw, I mean, some reports yesterday following Congress and the, elect- the re-election of Mr. Stenis mm-hmm. had indicated it was the most decisive you saw in terms of where they were as a Congress and moving forward to the next to next year's election. Right. That it was very clear what the, what the DA stands for. It was very clear and coherent in terms of what they see as non-negotiable spaces. And I think what was interesting was the two or three areas that became predominant focal points in this Congress, and that were things like making sure that the, that that you bring the ANC down to 40% in the ne- in next right. election. Right. Um, the 
the kind of res- response and reaction to the EFF and how to keep them uh, from not growing or try to keep right. them out of coalitions. And, and, and I think that, and, and of course, to grow the party as the party um, of choice as sure. a government in waiting. But the problem with it is, is again, the challenge of optics for the, mm-hmm. for the DA. Because if you look at the, the number of, 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 of re-elections and you look at the optics in terms of representation, I mean, you have very few people of color that have made the FedEx in a way. And you've got the re-election of um, another person um, who is white to lead the party. And, of course, won by quite a substantial margin. I think it was around about uh, 84% or thereabouts or more. And, of course, Dr. Palazzi got less than 20%. So I think the, the, the challenge for the DA is the optics of representation. They would argue, and, and, and you saw this in Mr. Stian Hazen's speech yesterday, where he talked about those that basically were very critical of the DA not, not necessarily passing muster and it would essentially weaken itself further. But he also said when I came to the party, its electoral decline was very real. And under my stewardship and leadership, I've grown the party. So there was a bit of, I would say, a bit of like, uh, you know, tapping himself on the back and saying, well done, but, um, yeah. myself. And, and I think that in itself is, is, is interesting because he was trying to say that he inherited a very dysfunctional, and I wouldn't say dysfunctional, but a party that was not at the point where it should be right. from Mushi Mermani. And I think that's interesting in terms of reading between the lines. And thirdly, I think what is interesting as well is that they have this problem in terms of the very kind of strict liberal policy and a very traditional liberalism. He calls them he calls them Democrats. He talks about patriotism. Right. But then you have this dilemma, an ideological dilemma for the party, where those that are coming from majority of the of the countries. Uh, population may not resonate with this party, especially younger right. people who feel that again, when you create this notion of mm-hmm. doomsday coalitions yeah. right. and you give the example of the ANC and EFF, mm-hmm. you actually have a very reactive re- reaction to that. And that reactive reaction is not necessarily, oh yes, I think this party represents me. It's not that, mm-hmm. that people would actually take that into their mindset and say, this party actually is talking about things that I can identify with. They do talk about it, but the manner in which they're going to go yes. about implementing right. it may actually be the challenge. I, I was going to come in. Actually, you, you kind of like answered questions I already wanted to uh, post. You. For example, as, as he pointed out uh, that, um, or rather, he's campaigning, he's using it as a campaign, uh, a campaign line that the EFF is the public enemy number one. Uh, is the, as you've entered now, is that really a clever move in terms of now making it personal and uh, not professional and not showing, you know, clear deliverables? You know, I, I, I think to a lot, sorry. I think to a large extent, the problem with that kind of attack is that it's very, it's a very reductionist approach. Mm-hmm. Because the idea is you've got to, you've got to be able to take people across the racial barrier, across yes. the class barrier, and across other so-called, uh, constituency identities. Right. And I think in a, in a way, it is a dilemma for not just but it's the dilemma as well is for the for the fact that the DA has to think to what extent if I want to capture votes by moving into the the, the electoral footprint 
of the ANC and the ESF were those voters who are really frustrated with the ANC and don't want to vote for the ANC because they have to do their own pothole filling and whatever. Indeed. Sanusha, can Um, I just come in there? Uh, Would you, at at all, what what you're you're, uh, referring to now is uh, the DA has not been vigorous enough, has not been imposing enough within these areas to at least. I wouldn't say Carry on, okay. Because uh, I just I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say they're not imposing enough. I think the thing is, what it what? is is that do people actually feel that they're the party of choice and the government in waiting? Because right. it may not resonate mm-hmm. with you in terms of the fact that you are talking about something, but you're talking about the right things. But then, of course, the challenge is how do you actually translate that as the uh, the, 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 the opposition party that is able to make the kind of inroads yes. into those constituencies mm-hmm. who may I, I think that's what I meant. Yeah. Supporting them. Right. Oh, not, not necessarily supporting them, but the DA policies may actually be that much, makes it that much harder for them to feel that the playing field has to recognize the historical inequities of the country, but the, but the way the, the way it's presented in terms of policy by the right. DA is mm. that meritocracy means that you've got to clean the slate. Yes, indeed. Sanusha, very interesting. We, we've run out of time. Sorry, we've just reached the top of the hour. We have to uh, go to our, our news bulletin uh, just to find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Sanusha, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, just to give us an insight as to where the DA stands now and uh, with uh, electioneering and how they present themselves to the electorate and what they ought to do uh, to make themselves more attractive to garner new votes, more votes rather.